You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, as we continue to worship the Lord together, and as I've shared with you each and every week for the last year, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And as you know at this point, John has turned his attention primarily away from the unbelieving world, although that's still on his heart, and certainly that's still the heartbeat of this Gospel, that all who do not know Christ would come to know Him And yet he turns his attention and focuses his primary attention on disciples, followers of Jesus, those who have believed the gospel. And despite all weakness of faith, those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation. And yet, without question, it is not just for the 11 men that were following Jesus now at this point. It is not just for the crowds that had begun to believe upon Christ. It is for every follower of Jesus at every place and every time. These five chapters, chapters 13 through 17, provide profound instruction and encouragement for believers who remain in a world where faith is critical and where that faith is tested every single day. It's no doubt been a week where we see the need for strong faith. Amen? It's been a challenging week. As you think about the events in Texas and all of the families that sent their children to school one day uh, with no intent to come home to empty beds that night, um, what a challenging week it has been. The pain of these families is unspeakable. Uh, Even as we think about the impact on our own county, the threats that were made to our local schools, I'm thankful for our uh, sheriff's department and for the police department who rallied uh, and made it a priority to protect our children. And yet, we still face this reality of what about tomorrow? What does it hold? And what about the next day? And where are things in our nation going? These kinds of things around us cause us to live in some ways in a certain fear, or at least concern. The good news, though, about John telling us that Jesus is the Son of the living God is that when we face tragedy like we face this week, we can be reminded that Jesus is still all-powerful and providentially reigning over the world. That He has not forgotten about us, And it is just as important today as it was in the first century for us to put our complete trust in Jesus Christ, 
not just for salvation, but every single day of our lives. And yet, there is a tendency or a temptation for that faith in the life of the believer to drift. To drift away that that holy impulse that we once had to put simple faith and trust in Jesus, for it to begin to drift away into various forms of unbelief, fear, despair, anger, denial, and so on. But there is one dangerous drift that seems, at least to me, to stand above all of the rest. Perhaps the greatest enemy to faith And the heart of the believer is the very enemy that we see here in this passage. An enemy that is in our own flesh and in our own sinful nature. And that enemy is pride. And this is exactly the battle that we find Peter in in John chapter 13. If you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we look to John chapter 13, verses 36 and following. The Bible says that Simon Peter said to him, that is Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow, will not crow, till you have denied me three times. Pray with me. Jesus, in this short, simple text, Lord, I pray that we would see right to the very heart of Peter and his very real struggle with pride. And I pray that we would not only see Peter's life and perhaps the life of those that are sitting around us or that we've heard about down through the years, but that we would come face to face with our own pride. God, that you would begin here this morning to dismantle any pride that is in our hearts and that you would show us the end of that pride, which is destruction. Lord, that you would warn us that You would convict us and that You would lead us to repentance. And then, Lord, I pray that in the way that we see Peter respond later, that You would show us what it means to follow You and that You would be glorified. God, if there is someone here in the grip of pride who's never repented of their sin and given their heart and life to Jesus Christ, I pray that this would be the day that they would trust You for the very first time and be saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, very short passage, verses 36-38, through and that is opposed to some of the ones that we've seen so far. But even with a such, such a short passage, it is still vital, essential, that we keep this passage in context with the whole of what we've been seeing. So just remember what has taken place. We find Jesus leaving the upper room, and as He's leaving the upper room, He's having a conversation 
with his disciples. Of course, this involves the story of Judas and Judas has now gone out to betray betray Jesus. And verse 31 tells us that when they had gone out, Jesus begins to speak to them and he says, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And we saw this passage last week. Jesus begins to teach on this new ethic, this new community of faith. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. And if you were to put a pause there in that moment, maybe a a hook there in the text, this is where Peter gets stuck. Jesus goes on to teach, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So John is just finished telling us about this new commandment, this new community of faith called the church, an Old Testament law, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself, is given new life in this community of believers who've all followed Jesus together and and the law's been written on their heart and there is this love of Christ that's dwelling among them and, and a desire to serve and to love one another in the way that Christ has loved. There are various questions that the disciples could have asked at this point. Jesus, what do you what do you mean that we're to love one another? Do you want us like you just did to wash one another's feet? Is that the goal, Jesus? Or maybe they're thinking, Jesus, you're going away, so we have to figure out how to love one another. Well, who's going to lead that, Jesus? Like who leads out like you used to lead or Jesus? What are some Practical steps help us here with how to begin to love one another. But that's not how Peter responds. In fact, Peter's mind is not on loving one another at all. Peter's mind is still on himself. This is where we pick up the story in verse 36 when he says, Lord, where you're going, where are you going? Which seems like an honest question. He's disheartened that Jesus is no longer going to be there. And he says to Peter, you can't follow me. So notice the repetition. This has already been said before. You can't go with me. And this is something he said again and again and again. This is not new information. But Peter asks the question that's really an objection disguised as a question, isn't it? Lord, why can't I go with you? (laughs) I'll lay my life down for you. We know what this is like because our children do this, right? Our children ask us questions that are not really questions because they don't give a rip about the answer, to be honest. At the end of the day, they're really objecting. They're complaining. And they're telling us why they would rather do something else. This is what Peter is doing. Why can't I just come with you, Jesus? I mean, I'll, I'll die too if that's what it takes. But Peter totally misses the point. Because he's too caught up In his own pride. You see, Jesus had done something amazing. He had put together this community of disciples to not go about this thing alone, to to love one another, to encourage one another, to support one another. 
to serve one another, to help one another along as they follow Jesus and to display this companion kind of love that they had experienced for three and a half years. And Peter, in brazen pride, says, I'm not concerned about that at all. Jesus, I want to follow you. Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll lay my life down just as you're laying your life down. If you're not convinced of Peter's pride, you need only to look to the other gospel writers at this point. Matthew chapter 26, we're told the same story. It says, when they sung a hymn, this is verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Same story there. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. He's telling them, the Son of God, speaking truth. Who are we to object with, to what Jesus says? He's, he's God in human flesh. He says, you will all fall away from me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And there's Peter. Verse 33, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you. Jesus says, that might be true about everybody else, Jesus. <laughs> Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus again makes the prediction before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. That is the same story, almost verbatim, that we have in Mark. Luke gives us a little bit more insight and tells us that a dispute rose up before this conversation about who was the greatest in the kingdom of God. And the same kind of thing happens. Verse 27, for who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves? You are those who've stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And it is in that context that Jesus says, Simon, Simon, or Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But listen to this incredible statement. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Isn't that incredible? Jesus prayed, even though Peter's about to deny him, Jesus knows it. It's happening. He says, I prayed for you that that would not be final. That would not be the great end of your life, but that your faith may not fail. And he says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's the command. Love one another, right? Serve one another. Same command. Peter again ignores the one another command. Verse 33, he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He can't fathom that his heart would ever be capable of turning away from Christ. He was too strong for that. And in this moment, Jesus shows Peter just how dangerous his pride is. He shows him just how strong he really is when he asks the question, will you lay down your life for me? That's, that's the tone and tenor. Will you really, Peter? 
Let me tell you what is actually going to happen. You're going to deny me. You can imagine Peter must have been shocked. I would have been shocked, right? Standing here before Jesus, <laughs> singing the praise and worship songs, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping him. I'm praying, man. It's been a great three and a half years, Jesus. What's next? Deny you? Oh, you got to be kidding me. I'd never do that. Never would I do something that awful. Jesus is not saying it might happen. Jesus is saying it will happen. And it did. In fact, just hold your place for a moment. Go over to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. I want you to see the end of this story. And we're going to come back to this text again as we approach the end of the book. So just for the sake of seeing it with clarity what John is telling us here in chapter 13. Here's what the Bible says in John chapter 18. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. By the way, most likely John. There's another story there which is really so good we don't have time for. But Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So Jesus has already been arrested. He goes into the courtyard of the high priest to be tried before the religious court of the day. And in this moment... Peter is standing outside the door. Now, before I I went to Jerusalem, I I didn't see this picture with great clarity. But this this trial in the in the house of the high priest, Caiaphas, is is likely within earshot of Peter. This isn't a great distance between what is about to take place. It's, It's possible even that Peter can be heard by Jesus physically and Jesus can be heard by Peter physically. So right here in the face of Jesus' greatest moment of, of, of test, so to speak, it says that Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire. That's super important. Hold that in your hat for a moment. Because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25, we see the second denial and the third. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. And said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Proverbs 16 and verse 18 says this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Church, I want you to hear me this morning. We tend toward an inflated view of ourselves, our own abilities, and our strength, even when it comes to following Jesus. Never would we be the ones who would do such a thing. I mean, you could never put that on us. How dare you think that that I would do something like that. I, I love Christ. 
We fool ourselves into believing that there's no possibility of us ever failing. But hear me, there is not a single one of us that is not capable of disobeying Jesus, of denying Jesus, of failing spiritually, morally. None of us is above any of that. We can make the argument that there's plenty of weaker people in the body of Christ, but the fact is we all stand on level ground when it comes to our own ability to obey Jesus. We are who we are by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. That is it. We're taught to show no weakness. To pull up our bootstraps. To, to, to make it on our own. But often in our brazen pride, we step away from this dependence upon Jesus and we step into this disastrous pride. And there's not a single one of us who is above it. And so in this passage of Scripture, in Peter's life, there is both a warning and an exhortation when it comes to what it means to follow Jesus. Here is the warning. Pride is a deadly condition that constantly threatens a life of faith in Jesus. Pride is a deadly condition that constantly threatens a life of faith in Jesus. The purpose of the Gospel of John, remember, is to call us to believe. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, and that believing you might have life in His name. That belief is built on the reality that we are not the Son of God, that there is one and only one Son of God, that He's King of kings and Lord of lords, that He holds supreme and authoritative power over the universe and over our lives, and we submit to Him. Without Him, John 15, we are nothing. That is the belief. That is the faith that we are called to. And don't miss it. We can look at Judas and say, well, Judas just denied that altogether. But this text is not written about a Judas. It's written about a Peter. One who believed these things and still struggled. Church, listen to me. Be careful. Be careful of thinking you are strong enough Be careful of thinking that you know enough that it will never happen to you. And we often think about this in big ways, right? Like denying Jesus in front of a firing squad. And it's easy for us to say, yeah, if we're ever asked about our faith in Jesus with a gun to our head, we would absolutely say, yes, I believe in Jesus. We we are quick in these impersonal, distant ways, say we would never deny Jesus. But church, we deny Him every single time we disobey Him. We've said, you are not sovereign. You are not Lord. Every single time we fall. And it doesn't happen with a big, quick jump off of a cliff. It happens one step at a time until you've fallen. Pride goes before a fall. This past week, some of you may be aware, some of you may not be aware, and I I hesitated um, all week long. I I even said to some, uh, I 
I don't even feel an, a great urgency to speak to this issue because not many of the facts are known yet and we're still researching what things look like. And yet, even as I look at this text, not for the sake of those this report is about, but more for your sake and my sake, a reminder of how quick this can happen. This past week, or let me rewind the tape a little bit. A year ago, a sexual abuse task force was appointed for the Southern Baptist Convention. That task force was assigned the duty of evaluating the executive committee, which is the entity that essentially, for the, just for the sake of you understanding what's going on, from convention to convention, year 21 to 22, in the interim, essentially the executive committee is tasked with carrying out the, the desire or the vote of the body of the Southern Baptist Convention. Only exists once a year. The task force was appointed to review the executive committee on the charge that there was essentially... Abuse that was happening within the Southern Baptist Convention, namely from leaders, from pastors, from church members that was being covered up and swept under the rug. That in some ways that was becoming dangerous to the body, not only dangerous to the body, it was more importantly an offense to God. And so this task force identified an outside agency that came in and did a review of the executive committee as well as heard stories from many other with many others within the Southern Baptist Convention and the 288 page report was released last Sunday afternoon how many of you've seen this report i would not encourage you to go read it other than prayerfully so there was name after name after name after name within the Southern Baptist Convention who have in fact covered up abuse and have in fact been guilty of abuse. And the stories are there in detail. And I say that to you not to throw stones. Because the very first thought that should come to any of our minds is were it not for the grace of God, so go I. I say that to you that you might grieve over the, con- the state of the convention and pray But in the context of what we see in the life of Peter, I say that to you to say that there is no one who is above falling into sin. And that we ought to be a body that maintains grace and love at the same time accountability and God's justice. And we ought to live lives of Repenting holiness every day of our life. And how quickly pride can consume us and build hedges of protection around us so that we think we are absolutely bulletproof and we are not. So be warned about the reality of pride. But as much as there is a warning in this passage... As much as there is a warning about pride for the believer, there is great hope in this passage. And if you're not careful, you'll read through these three verses and you'll immediately begin to think about John 18 and you will miss one tiny little phrase. 
Look at verse 36. And you should, you should highlight this, underline it, star it. As much as pride is a warning, hear, hear this. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Here's the phrase. But you will follow afterward. The one who denies Jesus, Jesus says, here's what's about to take place. But he says, Peter, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a foreshadowing of what is to come. Because everything that you're talking about now, once you see it without your pride, once that's been removed, once your own self-sufficiency has been dismantled, then you will see to the other side that you will follow me afterward. And this is good news. Let's follow the text. What is the afterward? The afterward is back over in John chapter 21. So you can turn there with me just for a moment. John chapter 21. And you'll see it. The afterward... Of what is to take place. So you even begin actually with the very first word being after. Verse 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Very first one mentioned. Simon Peter. Thomas called the twin. Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two Others of his disciples were together. And here's old Peter speaking up again. At this point, they don't know Jesus is risen from the dead. Verse 3 says that Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> what, a great, what a great statement, right? That's like the, the cop out of every man, right? I don't care. I'm going fishing. Leave me alone, right? He says, I'm going fishing. Then it says that they said to him, we'll go with you. So they all go out together, went out, got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. Should be a familiar story. Remember? Jesus had already said, cast your nets to the other side. It's a reminder of that everyday provision of Jesus. Not just the faith that we need in Jesus to be saving us, but to provide for us everything that we need. Verse 4, And as the day was... Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He said to them, children, do not have any fish. Do you not have any fish? Of course, he knew the answer. They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple, whom, by the way, if you're interested in this story, it's a really good one. This contrast between Peter and John throughout the rest of this. We'll see it maybe some more as we walk through. But that disciple, probably John here, is the one who recognized Jesus. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And Peter got so excited that he grabbed his clothes and he didn't wait for the boat to go ashore. He jumped in and swam to where Jesus was. It's an amazing picture. He's excited. But what is he immediately met by? When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Well, wasn't it a charcoal fire where Peter warmed himself in the shadows as he denied Jesus? 
We all know how smells remind us of memories. There is no doubt in my mind. As Peter is frantically and joyfully swimming ashore, that as he stands to that shore and he smells the fire and feels the warmth, that his shame and his guilt begin to rise up again in his heart. And yet he presses through it. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, he doesn't know that Jesus heard those things if Jesus did. Of course, he knew them. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Maybe almost at with a, a degree of impatience at this point, Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. By the way, love one another. Isn't that the command? Serve, feed, tend. He's saying the same command that he said to him the very moment that he pridefully said, I could never do this, Jesus. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Which, by the way, don't miss this now. Here's Peter smelling essentially the stench of his own sin. Grieved with conviction over what he has just done. And he says, Lord, you know everything. He knows. Jesus knows. He told me this would happen. And he knows it happened. And here I am. He's asking me, do you really love me? Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Is that really what you're going to do? And in this moment, he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him a final time, feed my sheep. And he gives him the command. And he gets to the afterward. (laughs) Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. In other words, you used to be your own man, Peter. You, You used to be able to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You used to be able to be strong enough and And good enough. And and you could do it all on your own, Peter. But you were deceived. He says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said by what kind of death he was to glorify God. He's saying, Peter, you are going to follow me. But you follow me, which is the very next phrase. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. You follow me in serving my church, and if it means your death, which by the way, it will. Three decades later, Peter would be crucified. History tells us that he requested even to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. And his hands would be stretched out and he would be killed for his faith. He says, Peter, that's coming, but that death, not the one you were aiming at, that death will bring glory to God because you will spend your days loving my people humbly. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. You will follow me afterward. Hear this exhortation. 
the believer must walk in simple, faithful discipleship following Jesus. You come to faith in Jesus and, and at first you think about all the things you want to do for the kingdom. Right? All these things that, that you could do to serve and all these ideas you have and, and all these people that you want to share Jesus with and somewhere along the line you become disillusioned and, and prideful and you think it begins to depend upon you and so you're trying with all of your might and things just seem to go sideways because you forget that it is in simple faith that you walk with Christ. And that's not just day one. It is day 71 and 301 and all the way to the last day you take your breath. It is simple, faithful discipleship. Following Jesus, one simple act of obedience at a time. We are not in this to save the world. That's Jesus' job. We are not in this to make a name for ourselves. That's Jesus' place. We are not in this so that the world would see our righteousness. He alone is righteous. We are not in this so that we might build His church. He builds His church. We are not in this so that we might be recognized for our service. Jesus is the one to, who came to seek and to save the lost and to serve giving His life as a ransom. We are in this, listen, to make much of Jesus. And perhaps the greatest struggle, the greatest downfall of what is taking place in our convention and many of our churches across the land is men are more interested in making a name for themselves rather than they are making a name for Jesus. Friend, our life is no longer ours when we come to Christ. There is no place for pride in the kingdom of God. We serve one, and His name is Christ. So, we follow Jesus today. Whatever God has placed before you, you serve Him today. What does that look like? There are three principles here I want you to see in Peter's life that are pretty plain, that I think that he learned in this journey. Three principles. Number one, when following Jesus, self is surrendered. When following Jesus, self is surrendered. If you're going to follow Jesus in everyday, simple, faithful discipleship, self must be surrendered. It's not about me anymore. When you come to know Jesus, it's not about your talents, your skills, your abilities, your good works. It's about Jesus. Because if, if you spend all of your Christian life trying to self-produce, what you'll end up with is failure. What you'll end up with is disaster because pride goes before destruction. That's what the Bible teaches us. So the question is, will you lay your life down, believer? And it's not a question of, are you willing to go to the cross with Jesus? It's a question of, are you willing to die to yourself? Listen to me. You will never be willing to die for Jesus unless you are willing to die to yourself. And dying to yourself is perhaps harder than dying physically for your faith. 
every day. It is a battle. A battle that is hot and wages war against our souls and against our lives. It is easy to say that in the distance I'm willing to die, but when actually faced with the reality of my pride has to die, my ego has to die, my, my lust has to die, my anger has to die, all of those things have to die. And it's not just a, a death now, once. Man, that would be easy, right? If I could just kill my deceit today, if I could just kill my pride today, if I could just kill all of those things today and be done with it, man, I'd be in good shape. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you're going to face it again tomorrow. And you must take up your cross daily. We, we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer who, we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And yet we are dying daily. We walk as dying men. Dying to our flesh. Dying to sin so that Christ might live in us. And it is a daily battle. You will spend all of your time and emotional energy warring against your sin and the power of the Holy Spirit without thought of how you might actually physically die for the gospel. It will keep you busy enough, I promise you. So what about today? Are you willing today to go to war against your sin? Number two, when following Jesus, self must be surrendered. But secondly, failure is not final. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Afterward, Peter, you're going to follow me. Now, you've got to learn some hard lessons along the way. But your sin no longer holds judicial power on your life. In other words, it no longer has the ability to condemn you. Why? Because, Peter, I'm going to the cross in order that sin might be condemned in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law, namely the righteousness of God met perfectly in Jesus, might put your sin to absolute death so that you no longer stand condemned, but you are free in Me. So every moment of failure is a reminder that we fight the flesh But every moment of failure is a reminder that Jesus has already fought the fight and won. Our failure is not final. That is true only because of the gospel. There's a tension here. You'll notice it in verses 36, 37, 38. Peter is claiming all the things that he can do. Not what Jesus can and will and for us now has done. You see, our lives rest upon the completed work of Christ. And the reason our failure is not final is because Christ has already paid the debt. If you know Him today. The same can be true for anyone who will trust in Him. You say, Pastor, you don't know the size of my failure. And I would say to you, you don't know the size of Jesus' victory. Pastor, you don't know the stain of my sin. I would say to you, you don't know the worth of the blood of Christ. You would say to me, you, don't, you just don't know how weak I am and how much I 
I've got to overcome in, in order to be a good person. I would say to you that Jesus has already overcome the world. That He is all-sufficiently powerful for you and that His Holy Spirit will make you new today. If you'll trust Him, be born again and be saved. So when following Jesus, failure is not final. And there's one final piece to this puzzle. And that is when following Jesus, glory is God's. When following Jesus, glory is God's. He talks about this new commandment to love one another. And he says the same thing to Peter. This tension between I and them. You're here to serve and to love one another. And Peter only looking at himself. The afterward, Peter's going to give his life, but notice the difference in, in chapter 21 when Peter gives his life later. It is for God's glory. Jesus' glory. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death He was to glorify God. Our lives are no longer ours. They belong to Christ. We live for His glory. We are abandoned. We are emptied of ourselves. And there is an emptying happening every day so that God's glory might be our greatest desire and the highest good of our lives. And so, be careful, church. Pride will wreck your life. The call on your life is to follow Jesus in simple, faithful discipleship every single day. Would you bow your heads with me all across the room? As we serve the Lord together, some of you have been prideful in various ways lately. Sinful ways. Ways that Perhaps have not even been confessed to God, much less those whom you've offended. And today, God is emptying you of your pride. Would you right now today confess that to the Lord? Even as Peter stepped on that shore, today you have stood in the presence of a holy God and He knows. And the Bible says that if you would repent today, if you would confess that, that God will be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse your heart from all unrighteousness. So would you confess that to the Lord today? Maybe in just a few moments as we stand together and sing, and this altar is open, maybe you need to come before the Lord, kneel before Him this morning and pray. Ask for His forgiveness. Maybe you need to share that with someone here in this room or outside of this room. Confess your pride to them today and humble yourself before them. Maybe you want to come this morning and you're broken hearted over the state of our world, our convention, maybe even your family. And you need to spend some time praying today for them. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe there's other decisions in this room. Today is the day to respond. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
Would you turn from yourself and turn to Christ today? Receive His forgiveness by trusting in the completed work of His Son on the cross. Believe upon Christ and be saved. In just a few moments when we stand, I want to invite you to come. If that's you, step out of the place where you'll be standing. Pastor, today I, I want to be saved. Would you help me? And I'll lead you to Jesus. And Jesus will save you. So would you stand with me all across this room as I begin to pray. These altars are open. You come this morning. Lord Jesus, we confess our pride this morning. And we lay it down before you. And ask that you would do whatever you desire to do in us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning as Dylan leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.